Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Beverly, and today I am joined by Brett Cowett of BP Boston, uh, the managing editor over there. Brett, how's it going? It's going all right. How about you? Uh, it's going well. I uh, had a good fourth, um, and I have been enjoying all of the Gordon Hayward news around uh, <laughs> the Boston area. Uh, it seems like around here, at least, um, even though the Red Sox are doing really, really well, it has been an NBA-dominated uh, last week, week and a half or so. So it's been kind of interesting that, like, even listening to the radio, as well as the Red Sox have been doing capturing a four-game lead here over the Yankees, um, that we're talking about Gordon Hayward and how the heck they're going to clear this cap space and if Jay Crowder is going to go over and assign trade with Utah. So um, my brain has been really focused on basketball, to tell you the truth, over the fourth. Mm-hmm. It, it does seem like uh, Gordon Hayward was a bit of a heist because he, it did kind of seem like he wanted to go to Boston, but it, he did seem like the guy who wouldn't leave a place like Utah either. Yeah, it got kind of sketchy at the end there with uh, <laughs> all those – those reports and everything uh, countering the initial report that came out. So, and when when Wojnarowski said that nothing was done, I was like, "Oh shit, this, oh this is not happening." Buckle up, everybody. Uh, what it sounded like was uh, <laughs> this is the most comedic thing ever. What it sounded like is he wanted to write up a piece for the Players Tribune to post and show his announcement from that, but somebody in his own camp leaked it. And nobody else heard anything else about the leak except who he leaked it to. And so he tried to backtrack it and try to talk to everybody straight up and release the piece that he wrote for Players Tribune. 
Yeah, that's super interesting and also really impressive, as someone on Twitter pointed out, that he was able to do like 2,100 words or whatever in, <laughs> you know, that short of a period of time. It was actually a pretty well-written piece. <laughs> um, well, to, ball, to, to baseball we shall go. So, um, as I mentioned, the Red Sox had that four-game lead over the Yankees, who have been struggling mightily. Uh, the Yankees, I believe, if I have my numbers correct, have uh, 15 losses out of their last 22 games. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they once looked really, really good, um, and now they look really bad, um, which is awesome for the Red Sox, who are kind of catching fire here. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. They've been playing really, really well over the last month. Um, but I want to ask you first a question not about the Red Sox, but about the Yankees. Um have you noticed like why the Yankees are falling off? Like what is the cause of this sudden and uh, precipitous drop in the standings for the Yankees? Well, I mean, it's kind of, I think it goes back to their pitching. Like, did you really think Luis Severino was going to do something like this the entire season? Like was Luis Severino really going to be someone on the level of like Tanaka, like him kind of regressing a little bit, even though he's had a few good starts in there, their bullpen has really not done well either. Uh, Batances has walked more batters than he, more, walked more batters than he struck out over like his last like two or three appearances. Uh, Do you think he's role- finally just overworked? I think after, it's after his one, usage like, patterns from like the last three years. Yeah, there's probably like fatigue or some dead arm going on in there. I wouldn't doubt that. He's he I don't know what he had seventy innings for each of the last two years or something like that. It was a lot. It was kind of it was uh, Junichi Tazawa level of usage really. And uh, then you have Rolls Chapman, who really hasn't been all that amazing either. You've really heard nothing about him. He's been injured, too. So the bullpen, which is supposed to have like a lockdown eighth and ninth inning, hasn't been there. Their pitching's kind of slipped up because when you're relying on Michael Pineda to at least act like a number three pitcher when he's kind of not like every other day, it's it's just not going to happen. And it, it, their regression, like you kind of expect them to fall back, but losing like 15, 16 of your last 22 – that's uh, that's one way to do it, I guess. <laughs> I like it. I really do. Uh, I'm enjoying it. But um, <laughs> it, it's all of a sudden looking like uh, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and a bunch of nobodies on that team, which is kind of like how we expected it to look. Everybody thought that Gary Sanchez would be good. No one thought that Aaron Judge would be doing this. But um, mm-hmm. I'm sh- I think the thing that's most shocking to me about the Yankees so far is that Aaron Judge has yet to fall back to earth. I just keep waiting for it to happen, sort of in the same fashion that the Yankees have fallen back to earth. I just, I envision a month where he bats like a hundred or something like that, and the league figures him out. But is that just not going to happen? It might not. The way he, with, like, I hate to use exit velo here, but he hits everything so damn hard. Like it's so, like it's just going to be hard to catch to catch anything to get him out when everything he hits goes like 110 miles an hour in the air on a line on the ground. So it's basically whenever he makes contact, it's going to go flying, and he never like pops up on the on the infield at all. So he's making solid contact. He's pushing it out to like he's just pushing it so far out every time he hits it. And by Fangraphs, the hard hit percentage, literally half his hits are in that bucket. Yeah, that's so absurd. It's, prob- it's probably not going to happen unless he have a dramatic change in his batted ball profile. Well, I guess we can live with one Yankee superstar. <laughs> um, <laughs> First times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, so there are lots of bright spots on the Red Sox right now, and I wanted to kind of get to a bunch of them today. Um, mm-hmm. One, Mookie has started to get really hot. Um, he is already at four war uh, on the season, depending on whose war you look at. Um, but I think the the most aggressive is Fangraphs, who has him at four already. Um, Hanley has been looking really, really good over the last week, uh, really since July has started. He's batting 375 with a 150 uh, weighted runs created plus uh, in July. Um, we have Pomerantz, who's been amazing for his last eight or nine starts. Um, mm. Price is looking really good when he's not fighting with media members um, <laughs> or uh, you know former players slash media members. Um, but I want to ask you, what do you think has been the single biggest reason for the, the Red Sox uh, kind of catching fire and clicking on all cylinders? I would say it's the consistency of the killer bees. Like you got Betts, Bogarts, and Bradley. And Bradley hasn't, after that slump to start the season, he hasn't really pulled down. I mean, he's already up to 285, 366, 492 slash, which is something we'd expect in his, like, when, like, we always expected Bradley to be up and down. Like some, some months he'll be, like, one of the best hitters on the planet, and other months he'll be, like, the worst nine hitter in baseball. But he's been keeping this streak up for, like, six months. Like he's been holding this, holding, like, a 207 ISO for a long time. So maybe he's figured something out to actually hit at a level that doesn't involve going up and down more times than a sign graph. Uh, Bogarts has finally tapped into, like, something going over the fence. He's gotten a few homers, and he's still hitting at a really good clip. And, of course, you have Mookie, who's gonna, who might honestly be a 30-30 guy by the end of the year. He's got 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases. He might be the first 30-30 guy since Ellsbury, which isn't all that long ago. But considering Ellsbury was, like, the first 30-30 guy for, like, what, 40 years or something with the Red Sox? Yeah. That's a huge. That's a huge thing. Like for especially for like the best outfield for the Red Sox best outfielder. Yeah, Mookie's playing out of his mind, and I'm shocked about Bradley as well that he's been able to do this. I mean, he has been fantastic. He batted 353 in June, and he's batting 333 in July, and really showing no signs of slowing down. And he didn't get into that prolonged slump either. Uh, you know, when he was slumping earlier in in May and April. Uh, for for pieces of those months, um, he kind of snapped out of it within like a week, week and a half, which is really encouraging to see. Yeah, uh, he once he snapped once he snapped out of it, it was just all systems go for him, and we've just been seeing him crank massive home runs. What was it? Uh, what was the one? It was tied three three, and he hit one like completely over the entrance way in the bleachers, and like he's he's really tapped in that power that we've always seen him have. And it's just, it's almost like a new Jackie Bradley, but it's like almost, and it's like a new Jackie Bradley, but not really. It's like we get the 300 best at bats all at once now, instead of like, you know, every other month. So it's kind of nice seeing him actually carry a hot streak for more than like, you know, two or three weeks. Yeah, I dig it. I really like this version of Bradley. I hope it sticks around for the entire year. And I kind of think it's going to at this point. And, mm-hmm. um, he's been tremendously valuable for them. Um, can you talk about Pomerantz a little bit for, you know, the last two months or so? Um, this guy's been pretty incredible and really making me kind of uh, shut up and uh, change my mind about that Espinoza trade. I have to say I've been one of the harshest critics uh, at our site on that mm-hmm. particular trade. Um, I think I might have hated it more than anybody on the staff. Um, that might be fair to say. Um, and... 
I have to change my tune on it. All of a sudden, Espinosa has not been pitching at all for like the better part of the last year. He's been dealing with injuries, really hasn't done anything lately. And Pomerantz is looking like the guy that he was in the first half last year with San Diego, possibly even better because he's doing it against better competition right now. So, I mean, is this our second best starter right now on the Red Sox? He honestly might be. I mean, since May since May 25th, which was a six-inning, two-run two-run game with 11 strikeouts, he's had a 2.54 ERA, 2.96 FIP, and 47 strikeouts in 46 innings. Like the dude has been ridiculous, and he hasn't. There's only been like four games where he hasn't given up a homer in that stretch. So, like that was the one knocking him last year is that he was a dinger factory, and now all of a sudden he's like. Half his games have nothing that goes over the fence. Like that, like the next game after that, after the Texas game, was a seven inning one, seven inning one and run, eight strikeout, no walk, uh, start in Chicago, and then that weird 120 pitch five inning game in New York, which the Red Sox somehow won, and then he had his only real bad game in Detroit, when he played at home against Detroit. He gave up six runs in four innings, and then after that, it's been six. In- Six and a third, six and a third, five innings, and then a six-inning effort in Toronto, which the Red Sox are blowing him out. So really his performance was just, you know, limiting any damage possible. So it's – he might – with Porcello really looking human and Doug Fister being typical journeyman Doug Fister, he honestly might be the number two starter right now until Price proves otherwise. Well, let's talk about Price. I mean, Price has actually been pitching pretty well lately when he's not yelling at people. Um <laughs> First, let's talk about his on-the-field stuff. Um, His last start uh, on the fourth, he pitched six strong innings, struck out nine, only walked two, uh, allowed zero earned runs. And before that, I mean, he's been been pitching really well. He's been doing a good job, especially the last three outings of limiting walks, uh, giving up fewer runs, and the strikeouts have been steadily climbing as well. So... Um, he certainly looks like he's rounding into form. And the really encouraging thing about Price has been that his velocity has been there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Been some of the highest velo that we've seen from Price, uh, certainly since he's been in a Red Sox uniform. Um, what do you make of his on-the-field stuff? And then talk a little bit about his off-the-field stuff. I think what's really been key for him, especially, is the reduction in walks. And I think he's, re- like, more than the velocity, I think he's regained some control. In his first five starts, he gave up seven homers and just was – he was batting practice. There was a lot of command. You could tell he was like getting – you could tell he was kind of – you could kind of see a little Jake Peavy in him where if he'd miss a spot or someone get a hard hit and it would still be caught, he'd still get angry at himself and it would start a downward spiral. So it was kind of stuff like that. And then he started getting a lot more efficient, like you said, in his last three games. He has three, he has three walks to 21 strikeouts. It's – and no homers in that span either. And all the, and against LA, against LA, Minnesota, and in Texas, which all teams that can just take you deep anytime. So that's <laughs> so he's done really, really well. With the media, he has not because what was it? The one the night after his first after his first start in New York, he yelled at Evan Drellich, and I don't remember what he was defending there. I don't think there was a specific reason given. There, but that was not disclosed um, to the to the public. They kind of kept that private. But the interesting thing about that was that Price tried not to keep it private. Like he he clearly did that in a way that other media members would see him yelling at Evan. 
Yeah, and there's no reason to suspect Evan did like anything bad. He's just reporting. Like Evan knows what he's doing. He's a good reporter, and as far as we know, he's a great guy. We have no reason to believe he did anything malicious or wrong because yeah, he came like, on this show. He's a nice guy. Yeah, exactly. So it's it was just weird, and it didn't really help that Porcella was like right next to Price egging him on too. Because when 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 Evan was kind of like taken aback and questioned Price's professionalism. Uh, Porcella was like Porcella overheard right next to Price and was like well yeah what about you though and and I was just like really Porcella like you're kind of in the same boat as Price but you're not getting better so (laughs) and and then you have the whole thing with Eck where they had a they had a shouting match on the on the uh, flight to Toronto which oh my god like I like the reason for that was because Eck said something bad about Eduardo Rodriguez's rehab start in Pawtucket where he gave up like six runs in three innings like it wasn't a pretty stat line and I think the worst thing X said was like ugly I'm like no one's gonna disagree with that because it's it's not a good looking stat line like sure we'll give him some slack because it's rehabbing but it's ugly it's ugly in the end so and then Price's thing was like oh yeah I'm just defending my teammates I'm like dude they're grown men like and also he's rehabbing. If it's a bad start, he'll admit it's a bad start. Like they can they can talk to the media themselves. You don't need to defend them. Yeah. I don't think they can for your defense. They're not getting they're not getting unjustly crucified. Like it's one bad start and and X said what we're all thinking. So it's not we're not rooting for him to fail. It was just a bad start. It is really odd that he has seemingly taken up the mantle of de facto like bad cop on the Red Sox or <laughs> knight in shining armor for um, people who can't speak for themselves apparently it's it's a really weird place for a guy who um, you know when he came to Boston and signed he was the happy-go-lucky pitcher who just is the nicest teammate and nice to media members and and does everything right and it seems like he's sort of embraced this new uh, bizarro dark role and um, I don't know I, I don't really like it and I agree like None of these guys really did anything to deserve it. They were all just kind of doing their jobs, and it's not yeah. like X said anything remotely unfair. I mean, Eddie was terrible in that rehab start, and that's why he has to make another one on Sunday in AAA. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I, uh, just, I hope that he continues to pitch well, um, yeah. and if yeah. that helps him by yelling at people, then okay. But it's, it's truly bizarre. It's, he's kind of like the antithesis to what Pedroia was earlier this season during the whole Machado saga when the Red Sox pitchers are throwing at Machado and Pedroia's like, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. It's it's what they did. It's not me. It's kind of like the opposite of that because Pedroia's trying to be the voice of reason and say, look, we're not trying to start fights. It's not me telling them to kill you. And then you have Price saying, oh, yeah, I'm just defending my teammates as if they like the teammates are like went to him crying saying they're saying they're saying bad things. So it's it's kind of it's kind of like we're seeing a weird dichotomy between the two especially when Pedroia is like the elder statesman on this team and he's always been like the one like saying oh yeah the, the one ignoring distractions and saying we got to go after him and then Price is literally going after almost every distraction so it's it's just really strange to see this especially after he was so frank with everybody last year even when he was bad and he admitted he was bad so it's just really strange in general yeah, certainly unexpected for sure. Uh, almost as unexpected as Pomerantz pitching as well uh, to me. Yep. Um, but let's talk about third base here because we've talked about that ad nauseum um, on this show uh, for good reason. It's been terrible. But recently uh, it seems that 
there is at least a band-aid on this solution and, and conceivably uh, an effective band-aid as well. Um, the, 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 the promotion of Su Wei Lin um, and coupling him with Devin Marrero as part of a third base platoon has actually been really effective. And, and Lin was all the way down at AA Portland when he got the call. Uh, he's an interesting player because he really didn't project as much. I can't remember his exact ranking on Sox prospects, but I believe he was in the 30s. Um, yeah. So he wasn't a highly ranked guy, and the comp that they put on him was, you know, his ceiling could be that of a utility player. Apparently, he reworked his swing a little bit in the offseason, uh, became less of a slap hitter, and he's been up with the Red Sox, and he's currently 9 for 24 since he's been up uh, with two triples in that time period. So he's been playing really well. Um, Marrero's been playing really well. My question to you is, is this good enough? Uh, for the Sox, or do the Sox still need to look outside of the organization for a solution at third base? I think it, they still got to look outside to see if there's anything there. Because as well as Lynn has done, him and Marrero together are still, like, even if you just, even if they were like Legos and you took them apart and you combined them into one third base and they'd still be kind of subpar, we're just lucky to get the hot streak of Lynn as he's coming in. And I really like Lynn. He's probably going to be on the team near or two within a permanent role, like as a Brock Holt type player, or even just at second base when Pedroia needs a spell whenever like they actually can get him off the field. So he's probably he's probably in the at the very he's probably very best like a second division starter or bench guy that they'll use like three to four times a week. But I don't really see this platoon working out for the rest of the year because these one is a one's a double a player who yes had a really good rework to his swing and he's got actual uh projection on him now but the other is the other side of it is also devin marrero who despite what we've despite the occasional flashes is still a guy with literally no pop so i think they still do have to look outside the uh the organization like i a name that was thrown up was Josh Harrison, which I think would make more sense than uh, Mostakis and probably cost a little bit less, even if Josh Harrison's doing well too. So I do like what they're doing so far. I really like Lynn as a player, but I can't see this going on for another 80 games, 80, 60, 80 games or so. It, I, it, there's just so much there that went right that still needs to keep going right. Yeah, I think it would be tempting fate with a team that has – a pretty clear path now to the division um, to uh, continue to hope that that Marrero Lynn platoon holds up. I agree that it's probably just uh, hot streaks from both of these guys because Devin actually has been swinging a pretty good bat lately as well. Um, so that market is getting pretty interesting though um, for for a third baseman because the the name that was floated out there the two names initially were Mustakis and Frazier and Mustakis has been playing out of his mind to the point where he's going to be representing the AL as part of the home run derby. Um, mm -hmm. He's got like 24 bombs on the year, his best power year ever. Uh, there's really no comparison there. And then Todd Frazier on the other side of things is batting 215. Uh, with 16 home runs and really not offering a whole ton uh, as a player. He's really like an all-or-nothing type guy at this yeah. point. Um, not a ton of value there. Uh, defensively, he's still been okay, but, you know, it's not it's not a great package. Um, 
And then you mentioned Harrison, but he's having a great year too, so I think he'd be pretty expensive. And the other name that's been floated out there is Martin Prado, who's been injured for a large part of this season. So you've kind of got two guys on one side of it with Harrison and Moustakis who might be so expensive that the Sox are priced out of those two guys. And then yeah. you have Frazier and Prado on the other side who might not be that big of upgrades. So where do you think the Sox go with those kind of options out there? The thing is, I think they do try to keep this platoon going as long as they can and ride Lynn until he really can't do anything anymore because they really have nothing to lose at third base and any, and any surplus value they get from, what are they, 30th in offensive production from third? Any surplus value they get, is gravy considering the rest of the, how well the rest of the team is batting and playing defense. So I don't know if they really do anything, especially with uh, Devers and Chavez, like literally right on Lynn's heels. And once uh, per, and once Peralta and Sandoval kind of clear out, where they get released or they get called up, whatever happens, uh, I think Chavez and uh, Devers should soon see time at Pawtucket as well. Mm-hmm. And that and those two guys might honestly be your corner infielders of the future right there because they're both hitting like crazy. And Devers might not stick at third. It hap- I mean, sometimes it just happens that you just have to go across the diamond. He'll lose a bunch of value, but it's still a good hitter at a position the Red Sox can't exactly fill without, pay- without paying out oodles and oodles of money. So it, they're kind of in a tough spot because with Moustakas' contract, like that's exactly what you want. But he's also going off. So you'd still have to give up a huge, you'd still have to give up a a burgeoning prospect for him as well, even though it's only like two months. And even then, is that going to get you past someone like Cleveland and their pitching staff? And if you do get to the World Series, are you sure you're going to be able to uh, get past a team like the Dodgers and how crazy they've been they've been hitting and how ridiculous their pitching is? So you kind of have to take that into account. And that's and that's that's just the stuff beyond making sure you're going to stay ahead of the rest of the AL East because you've still got the home you still got the Homer Happy Rays, you've still got the Yankees who are still going to hang around. They're probably going to make another surge here and there. So there's a lot to really discuss because you've got three options. You've got stay you've got stay in house and try to ride Lynn's hot streak. You've got try to get a band aid that isn't all that great like uh, Frazier or Prado, which might still cost you a pretty penny anyway. And then you try to dive with. Mastakis or Harrison and that gets really expensive especially when it comes to Mastakis who's probably going to be the big name out there when it comes to third baseman so they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here and they're and them kind and them stunting a little bit of Devers and Chavez's growth from double a to triple a with uh, Peralta and Sandoval that kind of hurts them a bit so I think there's a bit of mismanagement here that they've gotten themselves in this situation yeah, um, I kind of – if it was up to me what I would do in this situation, I think that I would actually go out and buy the most expensive option uh, mm-hmm. in, in Mike Moustakis because I just think that when you really look at it, none of those other players gives the team really exactly what they need in the same way that Moustakis does. He's going to solve the position defensively because he's a very capable defender. He's going to give them another left-handed power bat, which I feel like this lineup has been missing a little bit all season. And I think if you can do that without giving up Grom or without giving up uh, Devers, um, and I don't think they would ever give up either of those guys in trade for a guy for a half season, I think if you can give up a guy like Michael Chavis uh, and maybe some of their other lower-level prospects for him, 
um, that that would be a deal that you kind of owe it to this team to make. Mm-hmm. It, it does seem like a Dombrowski level thing, Dombrowski esque thing to do, uh, to just shell out for that and try to make a run with like a re- with uh, something of a revamped offense, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't that, I wouldn't put that out of the out of the reach of the Red Sox to do so. But that doesn't. But if the Yankees are still three, four games back and they feel like they can have a bounce back last second half, then I wouldn't be surprised to see them jump in and wave uh, Chase Headley goodbye. That'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting move for them because then you're assuming that the Yankees are all in on this year, which yeah. would make them buyers, which I think is with that pitching. Still not something that I'm totally sold on. And then also they expect to be one of the teams that challenges for uh, Manny Machado uh, once he comes up on his contract. So I wonder if they'd really want to spend prospect capital on a guy like that. The thing is with the Yankees, they had prospect capital like the Red Sox had prospect capital back in 2013. So they could really get anybody outside of Mike Trout and a couple other guys. They could probably trade and still have they could probably trade for somebody and still have a ton of useful or good prospects left so they're kind of they're pretty stacked in the position and they just now brought up clint frazier who is supposed to be a god apparently so it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do because if they don't they don't decide to buy into this year they thought it was just a flash in the pan and that this was just a sign of things to come then it'll be a bit longer of a rebuilding process for them, and they might come back even more dangerous. But they do decide to build them this year, then they're just going to try to shortcut themselves to get to the wild card or even the pennant if they get hot enough. So it's a it's an interesting decision. You kind of have to leverage. There's a lot to leverage there, and it really all comes down to: Are you going to try to get the pitching, or are you just going to try to let your young guys get time and then try to get at them in 2018? So I guess this is a more philosophical question um, about the Red Sox and what they need. You know, outside of third base, is third base still the biggest need that the team has? Or you know, with with the pitching looking like it's got more depth than we kind of thought that it did now with uh, Doug Fister as part of the team and with Eduardo Rodriguez coming back and uh, Brian Johnson just got off the DL today and was sent to AAA. Um, all of a sudden they're looking like they have a little bit more depth in that area. Is this the, the one area of need that you would address, or do you think that maybe they need a bullpen arm, or what's the biggest need uh, going into the All-Star break? I mean, they should they should just try to pull all the resources into finding a third baseman, but if the options are just kind of shallow or expensive, like the current market is right now, uh, then they should probably, yeah, try to dive into a bullpen arm, try to get something, try to get, a, try to get a, a not so heralded guy in middle relief, because I think Carson Smith had a setback, yes, and so he's not going to be back for like another month or something. Yeah, his timetable is pretty much unknown at this point. Yeah, and like you don't, and Thornburg's not going to be back this year because they didn't know what was wrong with him until you know three months later because great, great, great medical staff, everybody. But um, uh, it's, I think it really would help to just get a bullpen arm if the third base market is not looking well. And if they get bo- if they get both and don't have to give up a bunch, great. If they have to give up a bunch, I would probably pull back the throttle on that and not and not really dive into that. If they had but if they had to choose between a bullpen arm and a third baseman, I'd have to choose the, the uh, third baseman by far. They yeah. really need that filled in. I agree with you. Um, I would definitely go for the third baseman. And one of the other reasons is because I think that if you look down at AAA right now, that, that system 
the Red Sox system doesn't have a whole lot at the top levels right now uh, between AAA and AA, but what they do have is some guys that profile as decent right-handed relievers. So I would kind of try my hand at running through a bunch of those guys as well, especially if the market looks like it's going to be really pricey for a reliever because the last thing I want this team to do is buy another high-end reliever at the top of his market value, especially when... Um, the system is starting to rebuild with the draft picks that just came in and the international signing guys. It's starting to look like a system again. And the last yeah. thing I want to see is them gut this for a reliever. Yeah, exactly. I like I want to I want to see I want to see Grom come up with Daniel Flores and see how good they'll be and just stuff like that. I it I you kind of want that second wave to hurry up and come and not like you know undercut it. You just want to use the guys at the top level. And there are some intriguing guys, like Jalen Beeks is a guy that might be like moderately useful to the Red Sox. Yeah, but he's yeah. still probably a few months away. He, he needs more seasoning at AAA. So it's – and like I always like Lynn and him being – him getting called up to the majors was like, oh, all right, sure, why not? And this – him at least producing now, even though it's kind of a, kind of fluky, it's – it's some it's something you can look forward to. Something that you know you'll have an asset once he gets back up here, as long as he doesn't hit a major stumbling block at Pawtucket whenever he goes back. So you want you gotta have to make do with what you've got at the higher levels, since so many of those prospects graduated in the last two or three years. Like you had Bogart, Benintendi, Bradley, uh, just. I mean Barnes, if you want to consider that, if you want to consider that a success, I guess. I mean, I think Travis just graduated as well. Yeah, 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 he did. That he, he's a useful bat. He's a useful bat against lefties and such. So just, just a bunch of just stuff like that. Like you've got, like the reason the upper minors are so drained is because so many guys have already moved to the majors or they just got traded and they're in the majors now, like Margot. So it's not, it's not like it, it's not like it's depleted because of a lack of actual like a lack of actual growth on the farm. It's just depleted because so many are gone. Right. So you now you just, now you just got to wait until like the next crop comes in. Cause it's not like the Red Sox have been failing at developing. It's just, they've got to wait till that next wave. Cause so many in the, so many in the wake, so many in between are just not really all that useful or, or just a good option. Like I think uh, I would probably consider diverse the last of the Charrington wave of prospects. So it's just, you just have to wait it out and hope that you can find solutions that'll be stop gaps. Or you can just try out Diverse now and call him up and see how he does because it can't hurt. I mean it's the Red Sox I mean, even if he only hits for power, the Red Sox could use it at third. So I don't hate that idea. I definitely don't. And I think that he's succeeding well enough at double A. He's been playing incredible there that you know, what's the worst that can happen? If he doesn't do exactly. well, you send him back down uh, to double A or, or put him in triple A where I think he will move as soon as the team decides what the hell they have in Johnny Peralta. Uh, and I would expect that decision to come within this week, actually. Um, the team will either promote him or let him go, I would assume. So um, you, you, you probably will see a couple more promotions um, right around uh, that July 9th date. Um, where the Futures game is going to happen because Devers is actually going to be part of that Futures game roster. Uh, mm-hmm. He's going to be playing for the world team that features uh, former Red Sox prospects Mauricio Dubon and Yohan Moncada. Uh, and then Michael Kopech is going to be playing on the USA side. So kind of interesting to see some of those uh, Red Sox prospects 
uh, of old uh, over there. So the Red Sox only did get three uh, representatives for the All-Star game this year, which was kind of surprising. Um, yeah. Bogey might get in, um, as I, I kind of think he will eventually. Um, but Chris Sale, Craig Kimbrell, Mookie Betts are the three representatives for the Red Sox. Uh, I, th- I hope that Chris Sale gets to start the game. I know that Mookie's going to get to start, uh, and I hope that Kimbrell gets to finish it. But um, did Bogey get snubbed here? That's my big question because he's been ha- he's been having a really good season. Maybe uh, it's it, there's really it's really kind of favorable to some other shortstops every now and then. Like Correa is always worth a look. Like I don't think you could ever go wrong with Correa. But you all, if you're gonna go by like defensive stuff and the guy who's also having a like maybe his career best hitting, you could also say Andrew Simmons might have gotten snubbed as well. Like, he wasn't, like, lighting up the scoreboard, but he was having one of his best seasons defensively, and he's still, like, maybe the premier defender at shortstop other than Jose Iglesias. So I don't know if Bogarts got snubbed, because Correa is right up there with him, if not better. I mean, he's hitting 320, 397, 553. Maybe as a reserve, he might have gotten snubbed, but it's really hard for shortstops to really make a name for themselves when you already have Korea that was like pretty much entrenched as like the best shortstop in this young crop of shortstops like ever since he got called up uh and like then you had like Francisco Lindor kind of falling off a bit so it's I don't know as much of it's a snub as it was just Korea being that good like Korea is insane this year and I don't think he's really gotten the praise he deserves so if he gets in if he if he gets in like final vote which might happen. I don't know. Mustak has had a pretty good lead last time I checked. Um, I don't know if it'll be a snub or not because it's he he's there. He's definitely one of the best shortstops in the league. It's just there's so many good ones, especially in the AL. Yeah, there are. And Elvis Andrews is having a hell of a year too. So you might consider him a snub too if he doesn't get in. And like you said, Correa has been awesome. And based on what Lindor did the last couple of years, even though he's having a little bit of a down season. You know, it's hard to say that a guy like that doesn't deserve it. But, yeah, I mean, Bogarts is having an awesome year. I don't want to take anything away from him uh, for sure. Uh, the interesting thing about Bogey, though, is that he has been kind of slumping lately. Uh, he batted 277 in June, which wasn't bad at all, um, but still down from, you know, what his season line is. And then so far in July, uh, he's been looking really tired. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of 0 for 3, 0 for 4 games. Uh, he's batting 154 in July so far. So, any concern there with Bogarts? No, I think that's just kind of what we're gonna see when he's a guy that's so focused on contact. I mean, this is what he's done since 2015. We're gonna see ups and downs, uh, maybe some Babbitt, maybe some uh, random spikes of Babbitt progression here and there. Because when he's hitting for contact this much, and he had, and he's such a good runner, you're gonna see the spikes in Babbitt. You're gonna see him go up and down, but they'll still be over like 330 or something. So this is just kind of a consequence of almost like the old Red, so- almost like the early year Red Sox offense when everybody was like hitting for contact except for uh, Moreland who was just hitting dingers. So it's this is just what you got to deal with, and you got guys who aren't all around great hitters, or just all they're just good contact hitters, and you're gonna have those ups and downs. And right now Bogarts is kind of in a down phase. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably just fatigue too, uh, factoring oh, no. in there. Um, Bogarts right now has the second best true average out of all shortstops uh, in the American League behind uh, Carlos Correa there, and he's a substantial margin behind Correa because Correa is, like you said, uh, just kind of playing out of his mind this year. 
uh, which, yeah. which isn't really out of his mind for him because he's so good. But uh, <laughs> it'll be cool to uh, to watch that All-Star game nonetheless. Uh, is that something you tune into, or do you kind of check out with the All-Star game? I tune into it every now and then. What makes me check out are the uh, are the like hour or so of uh, the hour or so of like I wouldn't say festivities, but the uh, introductions and promotions at the beginning of the game. Like I just want to get to the game, you know. Like I don't need because the game starts at like five. I want to watch it at five. I don't want to watch an hour of like introductions and stuff. Not a big fan of the pageantry. No, that's that kind of turns me off. Like it always. Like when I was like going back to the Super Bowl when they did all the pageantry at the beginning, I w- that just got me more anxious. Like just get to the game. I want to I want to just watch this stuff. So it's uh to me it's just like I I don't check out like I enjoy the home run derby and All Star game, but it's just like I'm not gonna be super focused to it. And also it's probably gonna be the only thing on that on those nights. So I might as well. Yeah, I'll probably tune in, especially if Sale starts the game. Definitely. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's get to uh, some prospect stuff to close out the show. We've been talking a little bit of prospects, but um, the international signing period took place um, this past week. Um, the Red Sox actually traded uh, a few of their own prospects, um, Nick Longy being the notable one, traded him to the St. Louis Cardinals for an additional $2.75 million. Um to spend on the international market. They traded a couple guys who were playing uh, at Lowell as well, who were a little bit lower down on the prospect list. Um, But they ended up with a pretty substantial haul in the international market. This was their uh, return after being uh, hit with some sanctions the last couple years. They had to give back, I believe, their 2015 class, and they did not get a 2016 class at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So this was their big return, and they ended up netting some pretty big deal prospects. Uh, Daniel Flores, who they signed, uh, signed for over $3 million. Um, he was some people's number one prospect in the international market. Uh, he's a catcher who can hit, uh, switch hitter. Um, he has incredible defensive skills. Um, guys who yep. don't really do a whole lot with uh the superlatives have been saying that he is the greatest uh, defensive player that they've seen at 16 years old. So uh, that is pretty ridiculously high praise for him. And then the other guy was Danny Diaz, uh, who's a little bit of a bigger guy. Uh, he's a bat first shortstop. He's certainly going to move off that position, probably going to end up at third base, um, but projects to be one of the better bats in the system. Um, so pretty good signings there. Those are really the, the two notable ones. Uh, they did sign a slew of other short stops as well, but none of them uh, have have all that loud of tools. So what did you think of the splash that the Red Sox made? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, there's not – having coming back and already having such a such a good such a good pull on international mar- on the international market signings is really a good sign since it can since international signings can really inject a lot of talent into your minor leagues that you wouldn't normally otherwise get. Like that's one way the Cubs minor league system got so good so fast. Uh, and getting, I, I think this is by Baseball America, but I think Flores was the first overall, was rated the first, the best overall player, and Diaz was the seventh, I want to say. And getting two of the top ten is a really, really good haul. And it sounded, and it really did sound like the Red Sox had Flores from the start. So that, so that was really encouraging to see them jump back in the international market and make such a big splash. Yeah, 
I totally agree. Um, it's it's nothing but a coup for this team to start to restock. And um, one of the things that I didn't realize is that they only had um, one Dominican Summer League team um, this past year uh, because they just didn't have enough guys to fill it. Uh, they typically have two of these such teams. Um, so I actually learned that while listening to the Sox Prospects podcast. So uh, definitely go check that out. Um, we had Chris on as a guest, I think it was two weeks ago. So, uh, and that was fantastic too. So if you ha- you didn't get to catch that one, um, go back to our, our list of podcasts and, and definitely check that out. Cause Chris was a wealth of knowledge on the system too. Uh, and we did touch on some of these guys a little bit there. Um, let's get to Jason Grom as well. Jason Grom has, uh, been pitching now. He was promoted to, um, Greenville, um, he made three starts with Lowell before he was promoted. He's be- coming back from an injury, um, but he has looked pretty good as of late. Uh, he struck out five, six, and seven guys in his last three outings there. Um, you know, he, he gave up a couple of runs um, in his first start, the one before he, when he got injured. He gave up nine uh, runs in that first 1.1 innings, but uh, he's given up just two earned runs in his four starts since he's been back from the injury. So this guy's starting to look uh, kind of like that top prospect we thought he was when he uh, went down with the injury. Yeah, uh, baseball prospectus had in their main site a top 50 uh, mid- mid-season prospects list. And Grom was 43. And for some scouts, apparently, he surpassed Lucas Giolito for the ti- for the title of prettiest natural curveball in the minors. And his fastball is already at an MLB level. But the one thing that was going to hold him back for right now was that you might that uh, he's only that what they said was he's only pitched slightly more pro innings than you have. <laughs> so he's still got a, he's still got a ways to go. He's a great pitcher, but he's still fairly he's still a few years off, and. Honestly, the more top prospect pitchers the Red Sox have, I think the more pressure the Red Sox have to kind of produce them because they they're still going on a long, long while, a long streak of not being able to have a homegrown starting pitcher that actually has a record of success since uh, John Lester. Like I don't know if you want to call Clay Buckles. I think you got to count Clay Buckles. He had a few really good years. Yeah, like 2013, even though he was like injured for a month and then kind of slid back the rest of the way. I, yeah, I, I guess you can give that to him. Like but in, like, in terms of prospect outcomes, that's certainly a success. Yeah, the the uh, mercurial number three starter. Yeah, I guess so. But um, it's with him. It's kind of like everybody looks at him as the one guy to kind of like buck this trend because you had. You had uh, Lester, who everybody looks up to as like the last great one. Then you have Buckles, who like nobody really wants to think about anymore. Otherwise, they just think of five-hour games. So it's he's kind of the one guy that a lot of people who are the, either who are new to the who are new to the minor league system or just used to the Red Sox kind of floundering and starting pitching. Uh, he's kind of the one guy they all look up to to kind of buck the trend and like lead a new and like be that one pitching prospect that can like redeem the redeem the system and not just be all offensive and position players so him him starting out well and already being promoted is a good sign i mean he's he w- being the uh, 12th overall pick i i would hope that he'd be able to move move quickly through i mean i don't expect anything like nick senzel or chris bryant to blow through the minors but him doing so well early on after he's come back from an injury and then getting promoted it's a good sign and i i i hope i hope the best for him i really hope to see him succeed 
Yeah, I hope so as well. He's definitely uh, one of the higher ceiling guys in that system. So, And certainly a guy they didn't expect to get. Um, all right, let's move on from the international guys uh, to our last item on our agenda. Um, as far as the signings from the, um, the draft itself, the MLB draft, uh, the Red Sox have come to terms and signed their top 13 prospects to offer sheets aside from Jake Thompson, uh, who was their fourth overall pick, but it has been reported uh, actually by the guys at Sox Prospect that they are expected to sign Jake Thompson as well, uh, which is the, the fourth fourth pick that they had, a pitcher out of Oregon. Um, so a really good sign there as well for the, the Red Sox stocking up. It seems like they're signing a few more guys than they would have typically signed just because the system had thinned out uh, because of all these trades that have been made. So uh, a good situation there. It's nice to see all these guys signing and, you know, becoming part of this system. And it really is a lot better to look at that top 40 right now. And it's going to be a lot better once uh, some of these international guys fit in there as well. Yeah, and it's glad that they're starting, They're not trying to browbeat these guys and take the legs out from under them by doing anything like the Astros did to Aiken or Knicks a while back. So it's a good thing they've there's not been like no new no news of signings is kind of good news like you just want to hear the signing how much money and then you're good with that usually because they they got to keep inside that slot so when it comes to signings and contention no news is good news so so far it's really good news yeah certainly is all right um, Brett that about does it for us uh, let's do some housekeeping now um, you guys can go on and rate and review us on iTunes if you like the show. Uh, please give us a four or five star rating or whatever you think we deserve uh, on there. Let us know how we can uh, improve the show. Um, you can submit questions to us. You can do that two ways. Uh, first way you can do that is you can email us the old-fashioned way. You can email us at the uh, red seat at baseballperspectus.com. You can also submit one via our Google uh, question box um, that is on any of the podcasts that you uh, want to click on and listen to off the BP Boston main site. Um, you can download and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher uh, as well. And you can follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow Brett at B.A. Cowett, and you can follow me at, at Dev Jake. Uh, Brett tweets a lot more than I do, though, so he might <laughs> be the better follow here. Um, and uh, that about does it. We should be back with you regularly scheduled next week uh, during the All-Star break. Uh, so until then, uh, we will uh, be watching the Sox, and hopefully they can extend this lead a little bit. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brett. Yeah, no problem.